It's so good to be here with you. Uh, we've had uh, such fun this morning. We're going to continue to do so uh, at, at this time. And I am hugely grateful uh, uh, to you here and to those of you who are tuning in online and in the other campuses uh, to be able to share this message with you. Uh, Pastor Daniel um, and I had a wonderful time together in this uh, dude ranch. Um, must be the altitude, maybe something in the water um, that made him think that um, he could allow me to come here and be with you while uh, all on my own. I mean, bankers are not flavor of the month, so it's quite a risk and it's quite nice to be here. Um, and you've been so warm in your reception. I love being with you. Uh, and a thousand thanks for giving me the privilege of being with you. Um, as I say, I'm a, I'm a banker and I've been a banker for the last 40 odd years an investment banker, and it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. We have to have meetings of companies, and when the um, founders, sometimes the founders of the companies, come to their annual meetings, every company has to have one at least a year, sometimes the founders turn up, and sometimes the founders don't. But I know this, that whenever the people of God meet together, in whatever place, whether it's in London or here, uh, or wherever I am, the founder always turns up. And Jesus is in our midst, and by his spirit, he is here with us, and he is interested in what we're doing uh, with, uh, with the community that he has given us. And I wonder whether, you know, over, over the last sort of 40 years or so, and I've, I've read every day the Bible, which I'm sure you do as well. You don't have to read it like this. You could read it on a... On a um, on a smart, um, and uh, the Financial Times, the equivalent of the Wall Street Journal, practically every day of my life. Uh, because I believe that God calls us into different places, and our workstation, where we work, our workstation is our worship station. That, that is the place. I wrote a book called God at Work to help the people in the workplace to recognize that the workstation is where God wants you to be. And I have certainly found that not so easy. Um, and I don't have to tell you about the stress in the workplace, and you don't have to tell me. Uh, I think we know it is. And the question is, very simply, how do we navigate ourselves in this very complex world that is around us? And I want to, to say this. We, 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 we have another book that I wrote. It's called Strange Kingdom. Because we work in a strange kingdom. You've taken the series of King of Kings, and it's an amazing series that you're going to work through. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, where the title of my book, Strange Kingdom, comes from, he was martyred by the Nazis. And he had this phrase. He said, the king who dies on a cross must be the king of a very strange kingdom. You don't normally associate a king of kings with someone who dies on a cross. And it is a strange kingdom, but it, is the, but, but it is foolishness to people around. But to those of us who believe, it is the power of God for salvation, the power of God for wholeness and for newness and purpose in life. So I want to, I want to look at a, a simple choice that we have and those of us who spend our times in those workplaces and in the world, we have a choice. And the choice is 
You can either live by the premises of the world or by the promises of God. Which is it going to be? The premises of the world are you need more all the time. You want more, more finances, you want more fun, more pleasure, more, um, more likes, more um, favors, whatever it was. There's more, 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 the pressure for more. And the promises of the Bible are that if you want to know the power of God, you need to pour, not to want more. You pour yourself out into uh, the lives of others. Jesus Christ came to pour himself out for you and for me. But when we look at this, so that's, that's really setting, setting this, I've given it a short title, which is Pour for More. Um, and I want to just look at the way in which sometimes in the world, you know, there is a longing for, for something that it can't be filled. You know the film, I'm sure that many of you have seen the film of The Greatest Showman. Uh, have you seen that? It's a great sort of feel-good movie. Um, and in it, which is the story of the Barnum Circus, but in it there is a moment when um, a great soprano from Sweden comes and sings a song. And the song that she sings is one that I think really captures this longing for more that is unfulfilled. Why don't you check this out? All the shine of a thousand spotlights All the stars we steal from the night sky Will never be isn't it? These hands could hold the world but it would never be enough. There is something that is this deep, deep longing. We want more. There's an uncontrollable desire to, to, quote, to find something more than we can have and yet we are driven constantly for more. We live in a snap and an upload culture. We swipe from left to right. Well, one way is a good way. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't know which. <laughs> we scroll up and down and we search our own name on our Google. We select memes to point out others. We want favors. We want more likes. We want more people to favor, more people to follow us. There's a certain strange lacking. And I was very struck by an interview I read 
with Andrew Garfield. I don't know if you saw the film Silence, which is Scorsese's film on how the gospel first got to Japan. It's a pretty harrowing film. And in order to prepare himself for it, um, Andrew Garfield went to try and understand why these people would be prepared to die under horrific, they were crucified by the Japanese, I mean, horrific circumstances in the 16th century. Why did they do this? Uh, and he said, I discovered, and he's not a believer, he said, I discovered uh, the person of Jesus and I fell in love with this person of Jesus. And then he went on to say something pretty haunting. He said, I come from the marketplace of riches and honor and pride in Hollywood and wanting to confront a painful and a persistent sense of my own not enoughness. This wound of not enoughness. The wound of feeling like what I have to offer is never enough. You, you know, it struck me that that is, a, that is an extraordinary description of a generation. That they're just not enough. There's a driving not enough. And I think it's a prophetic statement. I mean, we mustn't think that prophecy only comes from within the church in small groups. And sometimes people in the world can speak to us with an incisiveness and a clarity that we often forget when we're all just together in a church. And I think that sense that there is a not-enoughness and that the core story of the world, of the premises of the world, is that more is the core. But God has given us a uniqueness. What the world most needs, you and I have in the Spirit of God, that He's given to us. And He's given us the great opportunity of co writing with Him the story of our lives, the core story, what makes the calling that you have. Each one of us will have a calling from God. I wrote another book called Know Your Why. Trying to find and fulfill your calling in life. What is the core story of your life? What do I mean by core story? I mean, it's like the operating system of a computer. It's there. And it can't work if it's not there. You don't know it. But it's there. It is something that is uniquely you. Because God has made you uniquely you. I think there is a song that is uniquely yours. A song waiting to be sung. A hope waiting to be expressed. An aspiration longing to be fulfilled. An idea longing to take shape. A concept waiting to be given concrete expression. And it is given not because it's just because who you are. It's because the spirit of the living God has planted that in you and me uniquely. That is the core story. Unless, until we discover what God has deposited in us, we won't be able to deal with this desire of not enoughness. Because we will always be trapped by that. I feel not enough. I feel what I'm doing is no good. I feel it doesn't add up. I look at the other people around me and they're doing so much more. And I say, well, there's just not enough of me. To satisfy the demands of God. If you know your core story, you will flourish in the life that God has called you to. 
If you don't know your core story, you will flounder. Everything else will be in the way. And before you try and answer the question of where will I serve God? How will I serve God? When will God call me to do this? Before you do any of it, you need to know your why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you wake up in the morning and go to work? What is the point of it? And that, of course, is what God has called us. And he has called us to live this life. And the problem for us at the moment is that we're on a generation that is living under immense stress and immense pressure in the gap between broadband and burnout. We've got, we're the always-on generation. And we walk about with our smarts telling us exactly where we can where we can be, what we should be doing. It is as if that was the source of all inspiration. And yet the most painful thing worldwide is the amount of burnout and mental issues coming from a result, I believe, of our not knowing our why and not being able to know the core story that God has called us to do without that deep anxiety of worrying about where someone else is in the way in which God has called them. Now, how do you achieve your core story? Well, people, some people say, well, you know, it's just by willpower. I will just willfully do it. I'm strong. I'm able to do it. I'm competitive. I'm master of my own fate. I will get there by sheer willpower. And others, particularly some in a, in a generation, say, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, whatever. You know, as long as you know, God doesn't interfere in my life and I don't interfere in his, whatever. Whatever will happen will happen. And some will say, you know, I just, I, I, I want to be, you know, I, I really, I really want to get that great business started that's going to be a unicorn, it's going to be a billion dollars, but you know what, I don't really want to spend my time learning how to write software. Or wake up on Monday morning and get, get working. You know, there's just a daydream believing. But if you, if, you want to, if you think that you can run your life simply by willpower, then I assure you, you will burn out. If you think it is just by, oh, whatever, then you're going to drop out sooner or later. And if you're just a wannabe, you're going to fade out. So what is it that our core story is written? And our core story is written not by willpower or whatever or one of his. It is written because it is in worship that we break out. We don't burn out. We don't fade out. We don't drop out. But we break out of this world that says to us, you need more and more and more. And we break out of that mindset. And that's in the worship. Therefore, never despise the time of worship. And by worship, I don't actually mean simply what we heard uh, earlier on, which is amazing. Uh, you're so gifted to have such wonderful worship in this place. It, it's not just that. It's the alignment of your whole life and my whole life to what God longs for you to do in your workplace, in your home, in your gym, in your school, in your in your university, with your friends, where you're in on holiday. That is what worship is, is that we give ourselves, align ourselves with God. The world says more, and the word says poor. 
Poor meaning giving of ourselves. You see, the core story, the greatest story ever told, is the story of Jesus. And we're invited into the story to co-write with the Spirit of God a reflection of the life of Jesus in our church, here, in our city, in your city here, in your community, and I dare to believe in your country. You know, when I came here first, uh, I was invited to be with your staff meeting about a year ago. And I saw in this group of people an extraordinary hunger for the Spirit of God to teach the presence of God to that group. And I knew in that moment that if this hunger from this group of leaders would spread to this whole community, why nothing will hold you back. And this city and this community will see the power of God. Because when you believe in something, you believe in Jesus, you believe and you're committed to something, then you give of your time, you give of your energy, and you give of your money to ensure that those objectives are achieved. And with the leadership that you have with Pastor Daniel and Pastor Sean and others, this is what is going to happen in this place. I absolutely believe it. And I believe that we need to look to Jesus and to see how he was not just grasping for more. On the contrary, he was pouring himself out. It was contrary to the world's views. He poured his out his time investing in uneducated disciples, not the elites of the time. He poured out his love caring for healing and delivering people. He poured out in service washing people's feet. He poured out his tears in Gethsemane. And he poured out his life on a cross. I mean, Jesus' core story, the king of kings, didn't fill himself up with more of the good things that kings seem to, seem to be able to, to want to do. Except he wanted to pour his life for others. Because the world says to us, more is the cure. If, you've got, if you're feeling down, go and spend some money. Go on a shopping spree. Go online. Buy something. Do other things online, which you shouldn't do. Um, but you have... You know, more of that to feed you, more pleasure. But it's not about power and it's not about prestige or popularity or promotion or prosperity or about the simple pursuit of pleasure. We will not change our lives simply by having more influence, more followers, more friends because the pressure of pleasure will just completely screw you up. And there's no joy in the, in the pleasure that we're going. And so this, this supposed cure that the world offers turns out to be a lure, something that draws us away from God. So more is not core. More is also not a cure. What is it? Well, we need to come back to Jesus. And when we look at Jesus... Jesus didn't spend his time trying to acquire more power, more influence, more likes. What he did do is he did something which we read about in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. That's what he did. And you know, this core story is written into the whole 
of, 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 of his life. And that's what he's given to us. Paul, writing to the Philippians in chapter 1, um, verse 6, says, I'm being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So if you forgive me a, a sort of Ken translation, it will go as follows. That he who started a story in you will carry on the story until completion. In other words, God has started a core story in your life and he will carry it on until it is completed. And the story is a story. It's not a word. It's not a paragraph. It's not a sentence. It's not a chapter. It is a story. It unfolds itself. Sometimes it's good things happen. Sometimes not so good things happen. But it is an unfolding story, a continuing story. And what is the story about? It's that extraordinary thing. Paul says that you know, once you see and captured by Jesus, you want to do something. You want to pour yourself out for others. Paul says it in, in chapter 2 of the letter to the Philippians, chapter 7, verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. No other religion can possibly say that we are glad and rejoice even when we are sacrificing, even when we are serving. Because it is the model of Jesus. And that's what we are following. That's who we are following. The way to self-fulfillment is self-denial. The way to find your life is to lose it in the service of others. So what does it mean to pour for more? Well, let's start right in, in that early part of the, of the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2 verse 28. And Joel writes and said, And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. That's what I love about your church is that you have a, a spread of people, old and young, the marginalized and those in the center of things. Men, women, you're drawn together because the Spirit of God is poured out in this place, enabling each one to be able to work and to serve and to feel fulfilled. And we read in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In other words, I can't just do things on my own. I can't of my own. I cannot give what I haven't received. I can't give what I haven't got. That is why we, we, it's not, I'm not giving you a self-help tool and saying, well, listen, if you really want to sort your life out and have a great cool story, go and help other people. Because it, the act is not what matters. It's the attitude and the power. And it comes from the Holy Spirit because the love of the attitude is the love of God. That's why we're doing what we're doing. is because the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Spirit that has been given to us. That's why we think it is so important to learn from the Spirit of God. We read, we, 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 uh, you know, Jesus speaking uh, in Luke's Gospel says, you know, how much more will the Spirit be given to 
the bright, the intelligent, the financial ones, the ones who come to, to LifePoint Church, the ones who are in small groups, the ones who are volunteers. No. How much more will the Spirit be given to those who ask? Who ask? That's all we need to do. is to ask for the Spirit of God to enable us to have the attitude of being able to pour out our lives for others rather than just to ask for more. So here are a few things to learn from it. The first is that spiritual people submit for more. If you want to get more power in your life, more prof prophetic inside perspective of your life, a way in which you could look after your family and your friends and your finance, the way in which you look to your future and you understand the nature of forgiveness. If you're looking for that power that keeps you in, in the center of God's will, then the first place is to submit for more. That's, that's I've always found, an, an interesting one. Because if you think of it, when John writes uh, the, the Gospel of John, the first miracle is not what you would expect. You would expect him to record the first miracle of Jesus as being a miracle of healing, a miracle of deliverance, a miracle of feeding people. But the first miracle is at a party in Cana of Galilee. They'd been drinking for three days, all the worse for wear, no doubt, because they'd been drinking too much. They've run out of wine. And the people come to his mother and say to her, you know, we've run out of wine. What was she supposed to do? She, she said, well, do whatever Jesus asks you. Just submit to him, even though it might look a bit foolish. And what does Jesus say to them in that story in which you know so well? He doesn't say, ah, oh, do you see there are those jars over there with water? Right. You know, here's the wand, Harry Potter style, bang. <laughs> it's wine. He doesn't. He could. He's God. What he says to them is, go down with your pitchers. Bring the water from the well. So they have to go down to the well. Bring the water. Pour the water. Fill it up. It says, to the, to the top. And then as they... And then the miracle occurred. Do you know when the miracle occurred? In, uh, John tells us. And when they poured out their pitcher for the master of ceremonies to sample, the water became wine. Do you see that? He, he, need, he doesn't need us to do anything, but he uses you and me. And gives us a simple task. Go and fill the water and pour it in and then God will act in the miracle. As soon as we submit to him, he wants to work in and through us in this world to reach a generation that doesn't know him. To take the ordinary water and turn it into extraordinary wine. That's what he does. He makes the good better. The wine, the water is good. He makes it into wine, which is better than the wine that they had before. Don't ask me why, but that's what he did. He kept the good wine to last. And I think that's true for us. And I know for some of you who might be struggling with life, you know, you, you feel you're, you're running on empty. Well, let him fill you now. Let him fill you with the spirit of the living God so that this water that you give him turns to wine that you can enjoy, not just 
wine, but very good wine. Spiritual people serve for more. The world is enamored of selfies, but we need to embrace service, not selfies. And if you look at the picture of Jesus, he was the king of kings. But it wasn't the title, it was a towel that washed the feet of those disciples. He came, Mark 10, 45, again one of those decisive verses of the New Testament. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And there is an instinctiveness about Jesus' service. He knew that he'd been sent as a servant by the Father, a suffering servant promised throughout the Old Testament. Instinctively. His concern was for others. I, I want to illustrate it this way. In England, we have a, two brothers who are very good triathlon um, runners or swimmers or bicycle riders or whatever they are. Um, and they, uh, one of them, Ali Brown, who got the gold medal at the Rio Olympics, and he was going for um, a world championship. And the two brothers are quite competitive. They almost always um, sort of compete with each other. Uh, and with the world championship ahead of him, this is what happened. Uh, check this out. It's me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course. And Alistair's stopped to help him along. And Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my God, I cannot believe what we are seeing here, Matt. Is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. To finish in second and third, but Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home, pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. It's interesting that you clap, isn't it? Why did you clap? Because you actually saw something of someone who instinctively put someone else's interest in front of their own. You know, uh, Johnny was sort of swinging from side to side, the altitude or, or whatever, it, either the altitude actually enabled him, disabled him from running, and uh, Ali, his brother, puts his arm around him. So then I say to myself, well, what would you have done, Ken? So I think, well, I, I would put my arm around my brother, I think I will, um, and I would go along with him, and then, with the tape there, uh, I would say, bro, uh, it, it's the world champion for me. And I would probably said, doesn't matter, you've come third. And, and, and if you can't hack it because you're dehydrated and didn't drink enough water, then that's your fault, not mine. I think I would have said. Um, in the kindest way to my brother. Um, and I would have breasted along and won the world championship. But he didn't. 
Instead, he pushed his brother ahead of him and lost the world championship. Now, there was a man. His name was Jesus. And he preferred, instinctively preferred you and me. And opened heaven to us and allowed us to go in first into that place. He took it upon himself to give us the opportunity of going in there. We were, you know, sort of drunk in our own sins, really, swaying from side to side. An extraordinary service. He poured himself out, just as Ali Brantley poured himself out to prefer his brother. I'd like to illustrate it as well from the Old Testament. There's a wonderful story uh, in the second book of Kings of the story of Elijah and Elisha. You know it very well. Elijah is, um, is the last thing that Elijah does before he is taken in the, in the chariot to heaven. The last thing that he does is to take a cloak and to hit the Jordan River and the Jordan River parts for him. And his servant, Elisha, who has asked for a double measure, asked, what can I do for you? When Elijah asks him, he says, give me a double measure of your spirit. And he receives that as he does the cloak from Elijah. And he takes the cloak, and the first thing that he does, last thing that Elijah does, the first thing that Elisha does, is to take the cloak and whack the Jordan and the Jordan parts as well. And then Elisha goes on throughout Israel doing amazing miracles, becomes extraordinarily well known in the miracles that he is doing. And then what happens is that the king wants to go to war and he turns to his officials and he says, well, should we go or shouldn't we? Isn't there a prophet in the land that can help us to know whether we should or shouldn't. And here in the, in the, the second uh, book of Kings, chapter 3, verse 11, is what happens. It says this, But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? And an officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. And here's the killer piece. Watch this. Watch this really carefully. He could have said to him, Elisha, as you know, he's been doing massive miracles everywhere in Israel. He's really got the touch of Elijah on him. He's the man. It's not what he says. This is what he says. He used to, that is Elisha, used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. In other words, the one thing that he remembers of Elisha was that he was a servant. He didn't remember the first things, all the great powerful things that he did, parting of the, of the Jordan. He remembered him as a servant. And that is the key for you and for me. And here it is, that before we can part, we need to pour. Before we can do what we expect of some great work for God, some miracle, some powerful act, some powerful engagement uh, for God, before we do that, we need to learn to be a servant, which is to pour for God. 
to learn from others, to volunteer. It's so amazing that you in this church have over 2,000 people that are volunteering here, serving, learning from the leadership so that you know that when you start in that servant mind, pouring out, as you learn to be a servant, so you will part. Part meaning making, taking, and you know, sort of real actions that you can see God's hand on what you are doing. Part, pour before you part. That's the message of Elisha. You know, I love Pope Francis. He said, We need scuff need, fierce hearted, gospel saturated communities of servant leaders. Leaders serve and servants lead. We're not at the center, we are the servant. That is the key to understanding the power of God that will enable you to live at peace with yourself, at peace with your neighbor, and at peace with God Himself. Paul writing to Timothy says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Would you think about pouring your life out to something you believed in, to some other person other than yourself? Spiritual people submit, they serve, and they share. You know, this is not a one-off game of solitaire we play on our own we're in a community like this amazing community that you have here Paul writing to the Philippians in chapter 2 verse 17 says but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith I am glad and rejoice with all of you that's how, you, that's how you feel fulfilled because you, you rejoice with all the people when someone else is doing well and you can see that you rejoice with that person. We rejoice with each other when we see the work of God collectively done by this church in this community in this city. That is a uniqueness and it comes from being prepared to be a servant. Being, it's the paradox of Jesus' teaching that when we feel empty, we pour ourselves out we then feel full if you're feeling meaningless not knowing your why not knowing why you've been called not knowing whether you've been called and you feel depressed about the way in which God seems to be acting or probably not acting in your life then start pouring yourself out for others and you will be amazed to see the difference that that will make in your life So we talked about submitting to God. We talked about spirit-filled people serving. That's something that I do. And we talk about sharing with others. That's other people. And in that trinity of God, me, others, of submitting, serving, and sharing, we have a trinity of well-being. And if that's what you're looking for, to live a life of well-adjusted, that is well-being, a life that is not just constantly drawn between broadband and burnout, a life that you can see that the meaning and the power of that life, then know that Jesus Christ calls us by His Spirit to pour our lives out for other people. 
And in that way, we will understand that the world cannot give you enough. This not enoughness that you long for, that you can't fill, will be filled by the Spirit of the living God. And that more doesn't become the core, but poor becomes the core of the story that we are co-writing with the Spirit of the living God. Could you stand? to receive from the Spirit of God you might gently just put your hands in front of you and I want to pray just one thing which I'd then like you to underline in the worship as we worship and it's this if you've got one thing to ask of the Lord for this week I Lord I want more and just insert one word more love maybe the finances Maybe forgiveness, maybe hope, purpose, whatever it is. Just hold that there and I'm going to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, let your spirit come upon your people right now. As every single person holds on to one word, different words for different people. Say your power will come upon them right now. We pray for more of your spirit, Lord, more of your power. We believe that where two or three are gathered together, there you are in their midst. The founder, Jesus Christ, you are here by your spirit. Anoint your people now, Lord. Send them out and fulfill the promise you make to each person right now in the name of Jesus. And now let us worship him.